Street food in New York City has a long and rich history. In fact, pushcart vending in New York dates all the way back to the late 1600s when the Dutch first settled in New Amsterdam. Fast forward more than three centuries and street food is as popular as ever. There are even awards handed out to the city's best street food vendors called the Vendi Awards. Good morning. I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. This morning, we're digging into street food culture in New York City and exploring what it takes to get into the food truck business. But first, a cemetery might be the last place you'd think to go to explore the city's culinary past. But Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx is the final resting place of a veritable who's who of culinary greats. In fact, the cemetery recently held a tour of noteworthy gravesites related to the city's food history. I pay the cemetery a visit to learn more about the famous foodies buried there. My name is Brian Saad. Uh, I'm the executive uh, director of the Friends of the Woodlawn Cemetery. I think a lot of people know Woodlawn because Duke Ellington is buried here, Miles Davis is buried here, Celia Cruz is buried here, but Woodlawn is also the final resting place to a number of culinary greats, right? That's true. I mean, Woodlawn has so many significant resources. Its architecture is one of the most significant architecture in any cemetery. It's open space. We have probably the largest collection of trees in any urban setting, significant trees in any urban setting. And, of course, we have our cultural significance. And 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 you, you just named a few. We have the, the jazz greats here, and then we have also the titans of industry. Uh, but we also have food uh, icons of the food industry as well. Hot dogs and mustard <laughs> are represented here at Woodlawn. That's right. I, I don't know if you got, your listeners might be too young to remember the Armour Hot Dog. You know, Armour Hot Dog, what kind of kids love Armour Hot Dogs? We have Armour is here. It's buried here. And so is Golden of Golden Mustard. So uh, we, we are well represented uh, that way. And we also have some older iconic uh, foodies as well. Lu Chow is here from the famous restaurant Lu Chow's. And Sherry, the... The, the famous social caterer of, of his day is here as well. So, And the founder of Pepperidge Farms, uh, Margaret Rudkin, is here. So the list goes on and on. We had a great time during that tour. How did this come about? You recently held a tour of the Culinary Greats Graves here at Woodlawn, but how did this whole project come about for you? Well, one of our volunteers, uh, Elizabeth Northshield, she was looking through some uh, genealogy uh, of some of the, uh, the, the folks that are buried here, and she found Kinsley. And Kinsley was the author of the recipes for uh, great recipes for the chafing dish, and so uh, she she uh, ran down the stairs and said, "Brian, I found the, the Kinsley, who's the author of this chafing dish." Uh, um, and I said, "Well, there's so many other food uh, icons here, like Armour and 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 Sherry and Lou Chow's. And she said, "Well, wouldn't it be great to have a tour of the food icons that are buried here?" So she went back upstairs and started doing the research and. That's, you know, that's how it's all started. The founder of Condensed Milk is also buried here, right? That's right, Borden. Uh, and he's, he's all the way, he's not so close to where everyone else is, but, but he has this magnificent uh, memorial that overlooks the Bronx uh, River Parkway and the Bronx River. Now, are Armour and Golden, do they happen to be buried near each other, the hot dog and the mustard? <laughs> not only are they buried stones throw away from each other, but also... James Dinty Moore, uh, a famous, the famous stew uh, maker, uh, is also buried the stones throw away from uh, armor. So, so is Lou Chow's and, is, and Fleischmann uh, of the Yeast and Bread Company. 
uh, is also buried just all right next to each, almost right next to each other. What was the most surprising find in doing the research of the culinary greats here at Woodlawn for you? I was excited that because I love Pepperidge Farm cookies, and I was excited uh, when when uh, found out that that Margaret Rudkin was here. But they're all, I mean, there and there's more that we didn't go on the tour uh, that we didn't place on the tour. We didn't stop on the tour, um, and there's probably more that we have yet to rediscover. Did you discover a lot about their lives in putting this tour together? For instance, Margaret Rudkin, what was her life like? We did find a, a lot about the lives of, of those that are buried here. And I had some, some uh, scholars uh, uh, give the tour, uh, and they did even more research. And uh, Rudkin uh, was a, a homemaker, uh, and um, she uh, baked bread and and um, baked bread from her, I, I, I suppose, from her fa- for her family and relatives and friends, and it just blossomed from, from there. Uh, she eventually sold the, the company, I think, in the 60s. But, uh, but it's just, you know, in her, from her kitchen to uh, national, international um, uh, industry. There's also a famed bartender here at Woodlawn, right? Jeremiah P. Thomas? Thomas. Right. He was the father of mixology, uh, and he opened a bar below Barnum's American Museum in 1851. Uh, and uh, he traveled across the country, building a reputation as this famous bartender. Uh, and he's, he's buried here. What's interesting is on his uh, birthday, it's in January, uh, you, we get a busload of bartenders uh, celebrating his coming into the cemetery and bringing 50 or so of their friends with them and, and cel- toasting to Thomas and, and celebrating his birthday. Are you planning another culinary tour of Woodlawn anytime soon? I think after the the tremendous response we got from this past food tour, I think we'll we'll have another one next year. And if you want to come here before that, I would imagine you can stop by, pick up a map, and go on your own self-guided tour? That's true. You can certainly do that. Well, I never thought that I would actually leave a cemetery feeling hungry, but I do... <laughs> This morning, between the talk of Pepperidge Farm, between Armour Hot Dogs, between Golden's Mustard, I think it's a hot dog mustard kind of lunch with a cookie for dessert. There you go. I'll, I'll, I'll have one right with you. Thank you. Brian, thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for coming. Picking it up on the old banjo, put on the mustard and away we go. Brian Saad is the executive director of Friends of the Woodlawn Cemetery. They're online at friendsofwoodlawn.org. You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. From the culinary greats of yesterday to the foodies making a name for themselves today, specifically those who are part of the nation's growing mobile food industry. A new cookbook documents and celebrates the so-called truckivore movement. It's called the Truck Food Cookbook, 150 Recipes and Ramblings from America's Best Restaurants on Wheels. I asked author John T. Edge what inspired him to put it together. I was in Vietnam about six or eight years ago and was literally sitting on a curb in Saigon eating a banh mi sandwich, Vietnamese hoagie sandwich, and uh, thought, why don't we have food like this in the U.S. that's based on really great ingredients, is really economic, really democratic. Um, 
and realized on returning back home that when I traveled the country, I was noticing kind of a resurgence in street food all across America, and that there was a book in that, in making sense of what was going on, documenting the people, paying homage to them, collecting the recipes. No doubt the quality of street food in the United States has improved tremendously over the past few years. It has. I mean, there's this, there's this notion that, that fast food doesn't have to be a compromise, that fast food doesn't have to be, you know, what they sell you from the drive-thru, um, you know, from the national chains, that you can get kind of artisanal food on a paper plate, and it can be great. Now, you're no stranger to street food. In fact, you were once a hot dog salesman, right? I once, yeah, a couple of different times in my life, I've become so obsessed with street food that at one point I owned my own hot dog cart, and then actually my first um, attempt at writing for a magazine, I worked a hot dog cart in New Orleans um, for three nights leading up to New Year's Eve, which was a crazy-making experience. Lucky dogs. I've had a few of those in my lifetime. Yep. (laughs) We all have. What did you learn from that experience that perhaps even allowed you to relate more to the folks that you profile in this book? tough life. You know, I mean, to be, to work the street is to have courage. To work the street is to have a lot of stamina. To work the street is to be kind of an ambassador um, for your town, um, for your city. Um, And it gave me a great deal of empathy for the people that I documented. Um, And uh, gave me a great deal of appreciation for being able to work a really small space and create really great flavor out of that small space. Not to say that Lucky Dogs are great food. Lucky Dogs are something else, or sustenance. But what I found traveling the country is a lot of people cranking out great food in really small spaces and working really hard. How varied are the food truck operators represented in this cookbook? I mean, this is everything from a falafel cook in San Francisco um, to a crawfish pie cook in Portland, Oregon, um, to um, people cooking um, borrego, um, consomme in Austin, Texas, to elotes in Houston. It looks, you know, when put between the covers of a book, almost like a United Nations of food, and it looks to me like like an honest, I hope it looks like an honest reflection of what people are really eating in the U.S. right now. Now, did you do all of this traveling yourself to taste these foods? That's part of the fun. I mean, it's all the fun. The research is the fun. The writing is no darn fun. But, the yeah, I, I traveled across the country. I ended up settling on about 15 different cities um, where I thought the street food scene was really interesting, really important, and then honed that down to about 12 cities. That's New York. That's Philadelphia. It's Madison, Wisconsin. It's Portland. It's Seattle. There was great diversity in those cities, and I spent about a week on the ground in each one trying to make sense of what was going on. How willing were these food truck operators to give you their recipes? It varied. I'd say about a fourth of the recipes in this book were inspired by the vendors, um, but the great majority were really open. Um, you know, they realized, like a chef does in a restaurant, that you know their muscle memory, their knowledge, their expertise that they gather over time is as important as the recipe itself. And so they were very open, and I hope I paid tribute to them. That was my intent. There's a lot of really fantastic food being cranked out of these small spaces, and these recipes are one way to connect at home. Uh, the other way is to you know, get on the road or get on the street. One chapter in your book is called Sandwich Up. How creative do some of these sandwiches get? Um, 
Oh, very much so. One of the things I found is that there's a real um, kind of focus on texture in these sandwiches. Um, one of the most playful um, takes is um, uh, a grilled cheese cheeseburger, which is kind of popping up everywhere now, but came out of kind of the, the street and cart food. So you make two grilled cheese sandwiches, um, which means you've got this really hyper-thin grilled cheese sandwich with a thread of cheese between the two pieces of toast. And then between there, you put a cheeseburger. Um, and it sounds goofy. It is goofy. But the texture is great. And the, the kind of, uh, you know, it's a bun. Um, but it just happens to be a grilled cheese sandwich. Another chapter in your cookbook is titled Unexpected Pleasures. What's included in that section? That is everything that doesn't fit in another category. It's things you don't expect to be coming off of a truck. And that means um, things like Brussels sprouts, which um, I would never expect to think of as street food. But if you think about a Brussels sprout as like a little miniature cabbage you can pick up in your hand, there's great Brussels sprouts being dished in Austin, Texas. There's Spam Musubi, um, which is basically Spam on a pillow of, of vinegared rice which you see a lot in Hawaii um, and which I had in, in Seattle, Washington uh, at a place called Marination Mobile. There's just wide variety of stuff, and it, it's not possible to categorize everybody, everything, but you, know, you, you write a cookbook and people want categories. Now, one would think that waffles aren't the ideal street food because they can be difficult to eat on the run, but that's not necessarily the case, and a lot of people are, in fact, doing waffles, and your book includes a few waffle recipes. Yeah, it does. I pay tribute to the waffles and dinghies people in, in New York and to two different vendors in Portland, Oregon, and I realized when, you know, when eating, when ordering waffles from these trucks um, that, you know, a waffle is a flatbread. Um, a waffle is a flatbread that just happens to be cooked to order, but, you know, comparable in its own way um, to a taco, as a, as a, I mean, a tortilla is a flatbread. But, you know, if you, if you make a waffle and you put ingredients between um, and you fold that waffle in half and wrap a piece of tinfoil around it, you've got a really good portable food. How much weight did you gain in doing the research for this book? Um, the good thing about street food is you got to walk around to eat it. Um, and, you know, it's not just about getting in your car and driving somewhere. I, I, I hope people don't hate me. I didn't gain any weight. Is that right? Good for yeah. you. <laughs> I mean, this food isn't all high-fat, um, high-calorie food. You know, it is um, food served quick and fast. But, you know, one of my favorite things from the book is a, is a scrambled egg and green bean taco I had in Texas. Really simple, really elemental, but, you know, not fat and greasy. Also in the book is a recipe from a food truck here in New York, peanut butter sandwich cookies. Yeah. New York has done, I think, street sweets better than uh, almost anyone. This is um, Kim Ema from the Treats truck, um, and I think she's found a way to um, to package desserts really well and has also found a way to appeal to children. There's like a, a, a shorter window that children can step up to with the idea that, you know, the democracy of street food should include, you know, children as well as adults getting access to the good stuff on a truck. All right, John, anything else you'd like to add? No, sir, other than that, thanks for the time, and I've really enjoyed kind of strolling back through my memories of eating this great food. I appreciate it. John T. Edge is the author of the Truck Food Cookbook, 150 Recipes and Ramblings 
from America's Best Restaurants on Wheels. It's out now from Workman Publishing. Food trucks are pulling up to curbs on streets all over the U.S. But what does it take to get into the business? David Weber is the founder and president of the New York City Food Truck Association, as well as the co-founder of the Rickshaw Dumpling Bar, which includes four food trucks, two restaurants, and a kiosk in Times Square. David's made it his mission to help new entrepreneurs navigate the food truck industry. He's even penned a book about it. It's called The Food Truck Handbook, Start, Grow, and Succeed in the Mobile Food Business. David, thanks so much for coming in. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. How did you get your start in the food business? Um, you know, uh, it was just sort of a fortuitous entree. Uh, I met my business partner, Kenny Lowe, at the Stern School of Business here in New York City. And we were just great, great partners in business school. We were extremely successful in business school projects. And uh, we decided to start a business together. So it all began as a uh, a dumpling restaurant concept for the NYU Stern School of Business business plan competition. We ended up winning the business plan competition, getting a couple deans to invest, raising money, and then opening a restaurant here in New York City. So you started with a brick-and-mortar restaurant. Absolutely. Uh, we began uh, with the Rickshaw Dumpling Bar that's on 23rd Street between 5th and 6th, and we grew from a restaurant into a food truck, which is a little different than the way some entrepreneurs go about it. Yeah, typically it goes the other way around? Um, well, what, what we're seeing right now is uh, is people getting into the food truck business in all sorts of different ways. So a lot of people use food trucks as sort of a culinary incubator as a way to get started in hospitality because the capital costs are a little bit lower. Um, but there's plenty of established restaurants that also look to food trucks to build uh, their brand awareness and market their products better. So it goes both directions. What are the biggest challenges to getting started in the mobile food business? Well, you know, the first thing uh, and one of the major reasons I wrote this book is because I wanted to give a very candid uh, and honest accounting of what running a food truck really entails. I think a lot of people uh, are sort of taken in by the media coverage of food trucks, and it's all smiles and happiness and great food and long lines, and everyone imagined there's a fortune to be made there. But there's a lot of hard work before that service period begins of uh, prepping the food, prepping the truck, loading the truck, finding a parking spot, um, and then a lot of breakdown and cleaning at the end of the day. So I just wanted people to understand the whole picture before they jumped into the food truck business. Where do you start? You know, it's a, it's a complicated thing. I think that the, the most important thing that I always recommend everyone do is get to know the laws in your municipality. Um, mobile food is a highly, highly regulated industry, and those regulations vary widely from one municipality to the next. Uh, certain cities like Chicago don't let any sort of food preparation happen on the truck, so you need to have pretty much prepackaged food only. In other municipalities like New York, you can cook on the truck. So the first thing to do is really do your homework and understand what the local rules and regulations are. That being said, how difficult is it here in New York City when it comes to those regulations and even getting a permit for that matter? Yeah, New York City is one of the most uh, restrictive uh, in terms of the regulatory environment. Uh, one of the great things about New York City is this really rich history we have in street vending and mobile food. You know, I think as far back as New York was New Amsterdam, you have uh, hawkers out on the streets and Pearl State Street being named for the oyster sellers. Um, and a lot of great entrepreneurs that made big names in the city did start as street vendors. Um, so the founder of Goldman Sachs began as a street peddler. The founder of Bloomingdale's began as a street peddler. So there's really rich history, um, but there's also sort of a lot of vestigial, a little bit outdated rules and regulations surrounding the industry. And that's one of the things we do as the Food Truck Association to try and educate the city about how these rules are changing. 
That being said, two things that are very important are you're going to need a permit for your truck and you're going to need a license for your employees. Um, so there's a lot of bureaucratic challenges to overcome to get started. Which rules would you say right now are the most challenging for a food truck operator? Two of the things that we're really working with the city on are, number one, streamlining the mobile food vending license application. The license is what each employee needs, and right now it's it's a very long process. There's an outdated rule and requirement that requires each individual person working on a food truck to have a sales tax certificate of authority. And that's basically an authority by New York State to collect sales tax. And usually that's something a business has. Like you go into Starbucks, there's one on the wall, and every employee there working is covered by that. On food trucks, every single individual employee needs one, and I don't know if anyone's ever tried to get one of these themselves, but it's really hard to do as a person. It's just there's no structure for it. Um, You need to choose the industry that you're in, um, and it's just a slow process. It takes about 8 to 10 weeks, and these aren't jobs that people can wait 8 to 10 weeks to get. So it, it makes growing a mobile food business very, very challenging. It appears that a lot of the controversy surrounding food trucks in New York City has to do with location. There are complaints that food trucks take up too much space on certain blocks, that they cause pollution, that they cause traffic. What is the uh, issue? I mean, is that a real issue from your standpoint? Absolutely. The second big uh, thing that we're working on is there's a law from 1965 that says you cannot vend uh, merchandise from metered parking. And last year, the state Supreme Court ruled that street food is merchandise. This is something that we disagree with. We think that food is, especially as sold off of a truck or in a restaurant, is a service. There's a reason that the hospitality industry is called the service industry. So there's a lot of enforcement on the streets uh, using this regulation. Since uh, in 1965, meters were brand new. Uh, They came out in the late 50s, and there were only a few streets that were metered. Now in 2011, every commercial district in the city is metered. Uh, So just about anywhere where food trucks are parking and vending, they can be enforced upon. The geography of where trucks can vend is a very controversial issue. Um, There's a lot of tension between all the different stakeholders that use the street, the pedestrians, the brick-and-mortar restaurants, uh, the brick-and-mortar retail establishments waiting for deliveries. And this is one of the things that we're working really hard to try and come up with a solution that works for all the stakeholders uh, to generate a little bit more harmony on the streets. I think that there's a lot of things that food trucks do well and contribute to the city in terms of tourism, generating tax revenue, in terms of employing people, and you know, not unimportantly, incubating new businesses that are growing into brick-and-mortar establishments uh, that are a more stable, contributing members of society. But I think that there's a way to maybe uh, work off of a network of set locations uh, that potentially could be curated by the Department of Transportation and allocated with the local community boards and with the local business improvement districts so that ahead of time everyone knows where food trucks will be. And it's not such a surprise on a day-by-day basis of uh, negotiating for those locations on the street. And that's something the Food Truck Association is working towards with the city? Yeah, absolutely. We've gotten a pretty warm reception from the administration, uh, for city council members, and from the many regulatory agencies that oversee food trucks. You know, the Department of Transportation has a hand in where trucks can park. The Department of Health has a hand. Uh, the the Environmental Control Board, the Parks Department. Um, one of the big challenges for mobile food in New York City is there's not one discrete agency we can go to. Everybody has a little bit of a a little bit of a stake in it, um, and I think that that's what makes it so hard. Is no one person knows the entirety of it. Um, so there's a lot of brokering and communication to to figure out what everyone's interests are so that we can come up with the optimal solution that meets everyone's interests best. 
At this point in time, what is your advice to a mobile food operator scouting for a location in New York City? Um, one of the things we do is we run little seminars uh, for uh, community-oriented vending. Uh, what we advise everyone is to find a neighborhood where you're welcomed, not just by one person that sent you an email or one person that gave you a phone call, but to really walk the neighborhood and get to know the neighborhood um, contribute to the neighborhood, be a stable, ongoing, long-term part of the neighborhood. I think that in general, street vendors often get a bad rap for being relatively parasitical. Because they're mobile, they can come, they can go. Um, but the thing to do is to really find a place where you're, you're welcome and you add something new. So neighborhoods where the food trucks have been doing really well are neighborhoods that have been traditionally maybe a little bit underserved, where new offices are going in. And there's new customers looking for food and the retail hasn't caught up yet, that's a great place for food trucks to, to vend until the retail catches up with it. And then, you know, you need to be mobile and find a new place where you're welcome again. How important is social media to the success of a new food truck business? Yeah, you know, one of the things I think that really allowed food trucks to, to rise over the past four or five years has been the infrastructure of Twitter, of Facebook, of social media. Uh, one of the new ways in which these differentiated branded concepts work in, in New York City and across the country is that they tend to move. Historically, a hot dog cart um, pretty much sticks out a corner. Every day it's at the same corner. Uh, what you see with these new branded trucks is on Monday they might be in Dumbo, on Tuesday they're in Midtown, and Wednesday they're in the financial district. Um, and social media allows them to stay in touch with their customers and let people know where they're going to be. And that's very, very tacky information. Um, a lot of people use social media just to talk about their brand, you know, just to explore ideas. But this is something extremely tangible that people need to know. Uh, and I think that's part of the reason food trucks have had so much traction with social media. How varied are the brands right now on the streets of New York City? You know, it's really exciting. You know, we have a great spectrum of operators at, that are part of the Food Truck Association. Um, uh, we have Valducci's Original Pizza, who've been on the streets for 12 years, which is amazing. Mud Truck, which was one of the original sort of branded uh, new wave trucks, I would say. Um, their iconic orange truck uh, in Astor Place. Uh, and they've been on the road for a long time. And then, you know, starting in 2007, you start to see a lot of trucks coming out. The Treats Truck, Waffles in Dingus, um, and then more and more, starting with the Savory, Rickshaw Dumplings, Schnitzel and things. So there's a wide spectrum um, of concepts and a wide spectrum of operators and a wide spectrum of really exciting food that you can get on the streets here in New York City. The big gay ice cream truck got a lot of attention in recent years. In fact, that led to a brick-and-mortar store. Catchy name. How important is it to have a catchy name when you're a food truck operator? I think the name is really important because uh, what it does is it really encapsulates what you're all about. Um, I think that in order to be successful as a food truck, you really need to do one thing and do it really, really well. And I think that ties into a larger sort of trend in food as a whole where people are looking for more value for their food dollar. And the name is important because it conveys what you're all about. And I think that the big gay ice cream truck obviously um, is, is selling ice cream, but they're selling like a lot of fun too. And, uh, you know, Doug's done a great job building that brand. Doug um, Quint. Yeah. And the experience of buying ice cream from him is just so fun. You just want to eat ice cream all day. Um, and I'm so delighted that they've uh, gotten a brick and mortar establishment up and running and a cookbook. And, it, you know, it just really speaks to the the possibilities that food trucks allow, because this is a business that was started for a very low amount of capital and has grown into something really 
big and uh, an important an important contributor to the culture and the experience on the streets in New York City. How much startup money does it take to get into this business? Well, it varies widely. You know, Doug Doug did something that very few people could probably do by dint of his enormous personality, where he took a soft serve ice cream truck and rebranded it a little bit um, with uh, the 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 rainbow ice cream cone and the super fun name and the the, the huge amount of personality. Um, in general, people starting a, a concept from scratch are probably going to be looking for a hundred to one hundred fifty thousand dollars, which is a, a fair amount of money, um, but it's definitely. Uh, a couple of degrees in magnitude less than what it would take to get a brick-and-mortar restaurant up and running. What would you say is the failure rate for people who try to get into this business? Um, you know, it's definitely, it's a tough business. You know, people think that it's 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 simple and there's, you know, a big pot of gold at the end of that rainbow, but there isn't necessarily. And we've had a couple of members that have opened and closed. I think that maybe there's been five or six trucks um, who closed who have been members over the the two-year or year-and-a-half history of the Food Truck Association, and we have about 39 members right now. You know, uh, I think that the most important thing is to raise a little bit of extra money, to have a little bit of a cash cushion, um, and to not expect riches on day one, to understand that it's going to take time to build the business up and to get the word out and build the brand and the the experience. Um, So... I always advise people to build that that path the business plan, you know, raise a little extra capital and uh, expect that it's going to take maybe twice as long as you think it might uh, to get to a break even. David Weber, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks so much for having me. David Weber is the founder and president of the New York City Food Truck Association, as well as the co-founder of the Rickshaw Dumpling Bar. He's also the author of the Food Truck Handbook, Start, Grow, and Succeed in the Mobile Food Business. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. Remember to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. We're listed on both as WFUV's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to producer Julie Clark. Have a great weekend. 